Hi, my name is Brian Camelotic and you are listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you from the Architecture and Design Network. Today, I am delighted to bring you the last of our five podcasts in our 2022 Residential Design Series, proudly brought to you in association with Coroma. With over 80 years experience, the Coroma team believe quality bathrooms are a balance of form, function and of course looks. Designed and engineered by Australians for Australians with different tastes and needs, Coroma has a wide range of classic and artisanal designs, smart designs, sustainable innovations and a whole lot more providing your projects with everything you need. If you want to find out more, go to www.coroma.com.au and you will find out a lot more. Today's podcast features Kate Nason from the Australian Passive House Association talking about healthy home considerations in residential design. I hope you enjoy it. Kate Nason is a passionate advocate of high-performance, healthy and resilient buildings. With a background as an architect, she has worked across multiple low-energy buildings, including certified passive house projects, such as the Monash Gillies Hall and several single residential homes utilising low-carbon prefabricated construction systems. She is a certified passive house designer, a PHI, um, she is Green Star, she's a Green Star accredited professional rubber and chairperson at the Australian Passive House Association. She, she holds the, also holds a role as sustainability advisor at Fraser's Property Australia, focusing on buildings and master plan communities with leading sustainability objectives. Today, she's speaking to us with, in her capacity as the chairperson of the Australian Passive House Association, the APHA. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Kate Nason. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's get straight into it. What, in your opinion, is a healthy home? Um, it's quite simple, really. I think a healthy home is one that allows you to thrive and you don't have to, you know, think too much about living there. You're, you're supported, your health and well-being is supported, you've got fresh air to breathe, you're comfortable, and it, it allows you to protect your family against the elements outside. Uh, and in addition to that, it would be nice if you could run it for free so it's um, got zero bills and it would also be good if it's for the planet as well. Yes, wonderful free, off-grid as they say. Um, the dream of all of us, I've got to say. But look, that sounds pretty simple. I mean, you know, it sounds logical is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, is that not always the case? Um, it would be nice to think it was <laughs> it was easy to achieve. And I guess if you live in a field and you've got, you know, big roof space, you can have solar panels, you you know, and you're, you, you can rely on the outside environment to be beautiful all year round, that's quite achievable. Um, but we don't often live in those environments. We live in, you know, the suburbs where it gets really hot or we live in the middle of the city in an apartment that, you know, is overshadowed or has direct Western sun coming through the windows that aren't shaded. You know, we live in these kind of extreme environments, actually. Um, So we do have to think about 
um, yeah, different ways to design buildings and ideally retrofit the existing ones as well in order to achieve that. And it is achievable. It just requires some, yeah, some basic principles to be considered to begin with. So it's, it's, it's all in the design thing. Um, it's also in the construction, actually. So, um, yeah, it's just as much in the construction as it is in the design phase. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I'll read you something. Uh, thermal comfort, noise reduction, improved air quality, um, and ensuring that correct building materials are selected to reduce damp and mould formation, which these days in Sydney has become, become a sport, um, which are some uh, key considerations, as are things like fire prevention and, of course, energy efficiency. Are we ticking all those boxes? Um, and you mentioned design, you mentioned construction. Are we ticking all those boxes? It's not a Dorothy Dixer, as I say. I'm, I'm quite interested. If we're not, if we're not do, achieving all those, let's call them KPIs, why not? Um, it's probably, it boils down to a few really simple elements in our buildings. So mould um, is caused by a variety of things. So it's either caused by too much indoor humidity. Uh, it's caused by condensation on surfaces um, or potentially even just the external um, environment sort of making its way inside and us not being able to control it. So if we look at the building physics um, here, we can actually, um, yeah, we can actually engineer these things out. We can engineer mould and bad air quality out of our buildings. Um, so the first one would be, you know, thermal bridging in the envelope. So that actually causes our surface temperatures internally to drop in winter. And, you know, if we've heated the air up, you'll get condensation forming on those surfaces on the inside of the walls uh, or, or floors or roof construction or around your windows if they're not thermally broken. So we suddenly have a moisture problem inside, even though we don't have any physical leaks. Um, likewise, with the, the air quality, um, with increased humidity inside, if we're not ventilating our buildings properly, um, we will get a buildup inside, which will only exacerbate the, the impact of thermal bridging. So one way that we can really reduce that um, excessive moisture inside, so from showering, cooking, breathing, um, we actually need to think about ventilation differently. We currently only have extract fans in our residential building code. Um, and we actually need to think about how we supply air as well. So we rely on windows at the moment, but in winter, we may not open our windows enough. Um, if there's bushfire smoke, et cetera, outside, we may also not want to open them if the conditions are unfavourable. Also, not all homes are set up for cross ventilation. So we don't actually get ventilation to where we need it, like in our wardrobes, for example. And I, I know a lot of people in Sydney have suffered from all their clothes going mouldy, you know, it, of recent times because the outside moisture levels are so high and they're coming inside. Um, so we need a way to both extract that moisture and also bring fresh air in to ventilate without the moisture. So this is where we need to think about mechanical ventilation. Um, and I guess that's one of the key principles of Passive House. Um, if we think about um, a, a new sort of building standard that we could bring in. And again, um, 
they're just really basic sort of principles, but we we don't generally do this in our um, in our homes here at the moment in Australia. You've actually answered the next question in a way, but in that in that point, um, it is about air, right? It's about air circulation. This, that's basically you know your your which goes to your passive house um, focus, but it's again it, it, this is really simple i mean it's not like dare i call it rocket science it's not even rocket science i mean it is something science, science. <laughs> so, but, it... but um why why have we over the years forgotten this or have we forgotten or, or some some designers seem to have forgotten this why um, I think there's a again a few reasons that could be a tendency towards different construction types that we didn't used to have. Um, it could be also the environments that we're building and we have less control over orientation now. We you know we have to comply with with council um, policies. We need to comply with a whole bunch of other sort of um, contextual um, restraints. Um, we don't have that beautiful field you know, that quarter acre block where we can position the house however we want. Um, you know, we're living in denser environments and our climate is getting more extreme. So, um, yeah, there's a few different, um, I guess, uh, Im impacts on on the way that we're building and, and international trends as well have kind of gone in the wrong direction with lots of glass and lots of steel. So we actually need to bring it back to basics and, and think about you know, the, um, the fundamentals of good orientation, good shading, um, you know, insulation and, you know, prevention of thermal bridging in the envelope, which, again, in the residential code is not really considered. I read somewhere that mould is said to be the new asbestos. Now, that's maybe a little bit, little bit hyperbole there, but is it really a... Um, can it become a, a serious health problem in terms of, you know, the inhabitants of a house? Um, I'm not, you know, a medical professional, but I know that black mould is um, is pretty detrimental to your health. It can have all kinds of horrible, um, you know, effects on your, your physical well-being, which will then impact your quality of life and, and sometimes even your, your, your sort of mental state as well. Um, you know, they've actually linked it to neurological um, problems. So, yeah, I'd say um, we want to try and avoid any kind of risk of mould because once it's there, it's very, very hard to get rid of. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we get on to passive house design, um, there is another type of design I'd like to broach. And again, this is, I picked up from this statement from a US architect. What this person said is, what we can do as architects is to be smart about the surface that we choose and the detailing, detailing we include in our projects. We can learn a lot from hospital design and from the food industry, which kind of, when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, again, I'm not sort of a microbiologist or anything, um, but I know that certain um, certain materials can hold bacteria longer and viruses longer. So that's that's sort of a separate issue as to what surfaces you put in your kitchen or you know you know high touch areas. But what I can comment on is um, the temperature of that surface. So again, if there's any kind of um, a large difference in temperature between the air and the surface temperature, you may get moisture buildup. 
um, just like on a can of Coke on a hot day, you'll get droplets forming. Um, and so I guess my only kind of advice here is that you need to consider the detailing to make sure that you can actually stabilise that internal surface temperature. And it's it's actually, it is simple, but again, it requires some, I guess, strategic um, and some calculation involved as well, um, consideration. So um, again, we'd be doing, <clears throat> if you've got high conductivity materials, such as a steel stud wall, you'd be looking to thermally break that from inside to out, um, either by putting insulation on the outside, especially junctions of a building as well are quite difficult to thermally break. So again, the type of material that you're using in your structure and where you put your insulation will be key. Um, if you've got any kind of, um, you know, protrusions or like, you know, for example, an external balcony bolted back to the building or a slab that goes from inside to outside, really consider the detailing there. And from an architectural perspective, um, there are some really clever ways that you can avoid using any fancy pieces of kit like a thermal break. Um, just the way that you design the balcony, for example, as a separate structure to the building itself can be as simple as that. Um, but basically, if you have any kind of, um, I guess, risk of cold surfaces inside in, in winter, um, you have that risk of mold and that in itself, I think, also carries, you know, lots of other sort of health um, impacting, um, uh, yeah, I guess, bacterias and, and that kind of thing. So I guess, yeah, looking at the surface temperature could be a really, really key thing here if we're going back to your comment. Yes, I can just see the, the, the day when we all get told that we're, we're not allowed, we're locked down, but outside of our, or locked out of our homes because our homes are covered in mould. I was going to say that, um, you know, uh, there is also an issue with, with money here, isn't there? Because, I mean, we could, I mentioned the food industry earlier. I mean, we could make everything in our homes out of 316 food grade stainless. Couldn't mm -hmm. be, that'd be great, but could cost a little bit. So there is, a, there is, there is that balance, isn't there, between, you know, money and, 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 and you know, functionality. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I guess being able to clean the surface as well is really key. So timber is, is really great, but also you'd need to, I guess, coat it or prime it in something that you can actually wipe down. Um, you know, in the era of COVID, that's pretty important. Um, but, yeah, I guess they're, they're, those are internal finishes and, and essentially – you know, you've got a bit more freedom there to, to do what you want. Uh, you know, the, the fundamental way of creating a healthy home is actually the fabric and the ventilation strategy. It's that simple. Okay. So, okay, so on that point, could passive house design help with, um, help with a healthy, help with giving us healthy homes and in what ways? Um. Yes, so it can, it stabilizes if you, if you comply with the, the standard. Um, so I, I can go through the, the principles and the criteria if you like. Um, but maybe I touch on the benefits first before I get into the technical jargon. Um, it, it essentially allows you to control the temperature of the house into a, um, a healthy band. So between, I think it's 18 degrees and 25, that's like the band that you, you, you have to comply with both in summer and winter throughout the year, it, your internal temperature can't leave that, um, which then creates a really 
comfortable thermal, stable environment in, internally. Um, it also, um, you know, makes sure that we have fresh air provided to all habitable spaces 24-7, um, no matter whether a window is open or not. So we're constantly supplying fresh pre-tempered air so it's not too hot, not too cold. Um, by recovering the energy from inside the house through a heat exchanger. So you're providing fresh air all the time and extracting um, stale air all the time as well. So there's a constant flow of air. Um, other than that, um, it, it allows you to yeah, reduce your energy bills because you're actually controlling the environment more, I guess, passively without the active um, heating and cooling required. Now, you still may need, say, in Melbourne, a little bit of heating um, and a little bit of cooling, for example, and the same in, in, in Sydney, probably more so cooling than heating, but you're actually reducing the size of your equipment by, you know, a quarter at least, you know, just, um, yeah, and you can actually reduce that entire sort of heating demand of your building by up to 90% as well. So it's it's a substantial energy saving, which is linked to obviously your bills. And if you've got PV um, or any kind of renewable energy generation on site, you can actually get to a net positive um, position pretty easily. Um, pending, you know, a few, you know, if you're in an apartment block, it's going to be you know, slightly harder because you've got less roof space. But, you know, in, a, in an ideal situation where you've got a, a freestanding house, that's completely possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so on that point, I'm assuming then that a passive house design will also lower carbon emissions, wouldn't it? Is that, is that, is that what I'm reading into what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. So it, it just means you're, you're using less power. You're actually... Um, significantly decreasing the demand on um, on energy for heating, cooling, and your small power loads. So all of your equipment in your house as well. So the standard itself has has caps. You can't exceed those caps. So um, for heating and cooling, it's fifteen kilowatt hours per meter squared per annum um, in in all building types. Yeah. Um, and for the primary energy, I think it's about 60 kilowatts per meter squared per annum as well, de depending whether you're doing the renewable version or the, the yeah, the, um, the version nine PHPP version. But basically it's, it's all your small power added up. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's a fraction of what you'd usually need. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We are indebted to Karoma, whose sponsorship of the 2022 Residential Design Series makes all this possible. Are your bathroom products putting health first? Karoma's GermGuard Protection is a unique proprietary antimicrobial formula that kills a minimum of 99% bacteria it comes into contact with. This innovative technology not only helps to prevent the spread of germs, it also makes cleaning easier. Perfect for households, commercial, and of course, aged and healthcare applications. Available across select ranges. Visit karoma.com.au to find out more. And now it's back to the show. So on that point, and again, this is going to be the, the question from 
in the dummies gallery from my side. You could actually extrapolate that design out to anything, really, couldn't you? You could do it to commercial, you could do it to educational, you could do it to aged care, which I assume, I assume that um, you know, airflow and, and, and health environment would be a lot more important to people in aged care than you and I, for example, wouldn't it? So you could actually extrapolate that out, couldn't you? Yeah, definitely. And um, it's actually been done in all of those building typologies as well around the world. The first passive house hospital is near completion, I believe, in Germany. Um, you'd expect it in Germany. They're, you know, it's the German standards, so they're, they're ahead of the game. But it's also been done in multi-residential. It's been done in an embassy building in Kinshasa, like in hot, humid climates. Um, it's sort of, it's applicable in any climate and any building um building type really or size or shape okay so are there modifications or, or updates to the um, passive house standing design used in australia um you know like you, you mentioned there's a whole raft of of standards which, which is great but i mean uh, there are differences aren't there whether you're in kinshasa or whether you're in you know brisbane or, or mm-hmm. maybe that exact or hobart let's say mm-hmm. there'd be differences wouldn't there? Yeah, and it it will depend where you are in the world as to which climate zone you're in. And there's obviously a lot of different sort of microclimate conditions as well that you need to consider. But, um, you know, the shading orientation and the shading strategy will be very different in the Northern Territory, like in Darwin, as it than it would be in, say, say um, Tasmania, um, just because of the angles of the sun. So we come back to very fundamental um, core principles around good orientation, good shading, um, you know, based on angles of the sun. It's it, it's something that all architects actually learn quite early on. Um, in terms of the ventilation strategy and, say, the air tightness, there are some nuances as to which climate you're in and the direction of moisture. Um, so you, for example, always put your air tightness layer on the warm side of, of the wall. So obviously in Brisbane, that could actually be the outside of the wall versus Melbourne where it's always on the inside. So um, yeah, there's little nuances there, but again, it's down to building physics and building and well, not just building physics, but physics work the same everywhere. So you just have to sort of, um, yeah, follow the methodology really. Mm -hmm. Do you think then um, it will be feasible for Australian builders to adopt the passive house standard as the way we should build homes here? both for health and both for, you know, low energy. Um, uh, this is a bit of a pie-in-the-sky question, I get it. But, I mean, do you think that some, well, something like that could, 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 could happen? Because uh, the reason I ask is because, I mean, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but someone recently told me that 90% of our new housing stock doesn't even have a star rating. I mean, like not like two or something. That's not even worth mentioning. But... I mean, do you think that we need or a, a similar type of standard to, to passive house for all of our buildings? In the perfect world, yes. Um, and I, to your question as to whether I think it's feasible for builders to build to the standard, 100%. They can do it. Um, you know, there's been so many um, examples, not just around the world, but also in Australia, where builders have been asked um, 
to to meet the passive hour standard and it's a performance-based standard so it doesn't matter how you get there you just have to prove that you can achieve the performance criteria so it's actually quite a malleable standard it's not prescriptive in that sense so it's actually very um, appealing to architects and builders because they can they can find clever ways to meet it together Um, and again working together is really key because like we said at the beginning it's just as much about the design as it is um, about the construction but back to your question I think it's absolutely possible for any builder even without any experience in passive house to to pick this up and and um, achieve it just get the right advice from the beginning. And um, I guess it's just about capacity building. The more people that sort of understand how to, how to do this, um, the, the, more, the more houses we will see built to this. Because um, from my personal experience, if you work with a builder to um, construct a passive house, they'll never want to go back to building a six-star house. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll fundamentally have changed their um, perception of how to build. Um, because it, it, it's just sort of a more robust um, and um, it, it's just better design um, because you, you know that what you're providing the occupant is, is a, good, um, a good performing home. Um, and if you meet the passive house standard, you're actually putting it on the map as one of the most thermally efficient um, yeah, buildings in the world. So the passive house standard is the most energy efficient, uh, most rigorous energy efficiency standard in the world, but it's also the the most robust health and um, well-being supporting standard in the world as well. So that's that's a common misconception. Um, you can have an energy efficient building, um, but it may be awful to be in. Um, and you can have a really thermally comfortable building, but it may be really, really um, energy intensive to run. So we actually have to meet in the middle here. Um, and this is how we're going to get to, you know, net zero and, and reduce our carbon emissions. Um, we can, we are completely capable of making net positive homes, especially in Australia where we've got so much sun. It, it is completely within our reach. Um, and I guess further to that on building capacity, there's, there's, you know, simple courses you can go on. I think even if you're not planning to go full passive house, this is good principles of, of design and construction that you can learn, um, or you probably already know it's just packaging them, them up, right, um, and, and approaching them in a methodical sort of um, way. Um, and there's courses that, you know, um, the Passive House, uh, um, sorry, Australian Passive House Association run for tradespeople um, and for designers, so for architects and engineers. Um, and even if you don't go to the full Passive House standard, I think you will find that understanding building physics will help you in every aspect of your of your work life from here on out okay so what what i'm hearing is is that it's 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 not so much about the cost it's more about the the education and and the um how would i say the 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 knowledge of 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 this standard of this all these ideas that 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 are lacking that it's not really the cost here is it no i mean you know, the, the more that the more demand there is for this and the more ca- capability or capacity there is in the industry, 
the lower the price will be. So like anything, when it's new and it's sort of um, unknown, there'll be this sort of learning curve price attached to it and um, perceived cost increase. Um, so what we've seen in, for example, Vancouver, where they've actually incentivized Passive House through their um, sort of council's planning policy, um, actually seen more suppliers come online delivering sort of the, the components, like the, the, the high-tech window systems and doors, et cetera, um, and the mechanical ventilation with heat recovery systems. There is a kind of, I guess, a, a slightly different approach to business as usual, but those components are required to meet the passive house standards. So you get more supply suppliers in the market. You get more capacity because there's more demand for it. Um, and the learning curve, the more buildings that you deliver to the standard, the easier it gets and the more efficient it gets, both in cost and effort. So then the, you know, the, the cost curve just starts to plateau. And places like Brussels, they can actually deliver um, passive house projects for the same price, if not cheaper, than business as usual. Um, or I should say they're planning um, their construction code is actually passive house now so it is cost neutral um and in the uk um i think it's a an architect called archetype they deliver passive house schools for cheaper than their national construction code so it's completely possible wow wow that is actually mind-blowing so well, okay um we've just had an election and things may change but we you know the the housing industry the the the, the built environment is unbelievably regulated what is needed for that you know, passive house like or style principle to become the norm what is needed is political will is that what we're talking about uh yes i i would say you know the um councils are actually in a really good position to dictate um particularly for their own portfolios where they you know, put the principal project requirements out there. Any client basically wanting uh, or developer or anyone that owns a building um, or owns the project in the site can actually demand this. You know, they, they can actually write it into the brief. Um, so we've seen it from Moreland City Council down here in Melbourne. Um, they've uh, commissioned a uh, passive house and living building challenge community building, which has just been com completed um, in Glenroy. Uh, it, it's been done. It's, it's completely possible. And, you know, that architecture firm and that builder had never done it before. Uh, and they've delivered the first living building challenge and passive house building, public building in Australia, just just because there was will there to begin with. Um, the same with Monash University, the first project I worked on that was Passive House um, certified um, or became Passive House certified. Um, you know, it was a client that actually put it in the PPR. They said, we, we need you to do this. And, and everyone steps up and everyone's capable of doing it, actually. There's a little bit of learning um, and a little bit of, you know, knowing who to go to advice for. And I think, again, it's it's building the capacity in the industry so that we've got enough consultants who understand it and who can give advice. And we've got enough architects who know how to design it. And we've got enough builders who know how to build it. And it'll just be a momentum that I don't think will stop. And I think, you know, it's, it's since I sort of first started looking into it in Australia, um, it has just 
it's an exponential growth cur- growth curve. The amount of people going through the course is exponential. Um, you know, the, the amount of projects on the books that are targeting Passive House is exponential. It's, it's a really positive momentum that I've seen. What's not to like? It's good for the body. It's good for the environment. And I'm assuming then it's also good for good for the price of the house too because that would um, that would be a little bit augmented with all these other other extras attached to it. So what are we waiting for? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, ca- capital expenditure, you know, we're, we're working through those, those, those growing pains at the moment. But if you look at the life of the building and you look at the, you know, cost analysis over the lifespan of its operations, we're, we're talking a payback period that, you know, depends on, um, on, on the nuances of the building, of course, and its usage. But, you know, you, you, ca- you can get your money back. We just have to start thinking long term, not just short term, you know, and, and you're actually being able to enjoy a really comfortable building and a really great building to be in. Um, there's, you know, if, if there's listeners in Sydney, there's, there's a bunch of buildings that will be, um, you know, opening their doors um, in the coming month for Passive House open days. Um, likewise in Melbourne, um, there could be some in some other states as well. Um, it's it's worth looking at the website. Um, I believe it's, yeah, Passive House International Open Days. Um, you can go and actually touch, feel and, and experience um, these buildings. And again, it's not just homes, it's, it's lots of um, different typologies. But that's also part of the, the narrative is that we actually need to experience this as well um, because it's, it's hard to describe comfort. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to quantify too, isn't it? it it's highly subjective and highly you know, um, personal. Um, mm. I've got to say that it's interesting you say that about all these, you know, open houses because I went to, uh, I think it was you now going back four years, an apartment block um, in Redfin. It was one of the first oh, yep. massive mm-hmm. house. Um, and obviously, my role was invited, turned up, and okay, it was quite interesting. But I tell you what, there was a line of people wanting to, and it was, and this was about, you know, I think about you know, 2018. So I think, you know, there is a hunger out there. Definitely. So in terms of health, well-being, passive solar or passive house, which which would you rather live in? Uh, It's a tricky question. And there'll be people who are very, very um, in... Uh, on on one side of the fence versus the other. And so, you know, my answer won't ever satisfy everyone. Um, But in my personal opinion, um, they're sort of part and parcel. Their passive house standard is based on the fundamentals of passive solar. It's about good orientation to begin with. It's about good shading. It's about good cross ventilation. It's about, you know, smart design that basically tries to use as as much of the natural environment to make it comfortable as possible. I guess the only difference between passive solar and passive house is the fact that passive house goes just that little bit further in it allows you to actually separate yourself from the external environment when you want to. So if you need to close all the windows when it's a really, really hot day or a really cold day, you can and you still get fresh air. Um, with minimal energy um, and and you can actually you know prevent any any energy leaking from the house as well and any air infiltration you know uncontrolled air infiltration as well you're only bringing air in through a certain point you're able to filter it you're able to 
um, temper it with the existing energy. It, it, I guess in a nutshell, it just goes that next step. Um, but you can't really design a passive house without considering um, the, those fundamental principles of passive solar um, with the exception of ventilation, air tightness and um, thermal bridging. A very, very diplomatic answer, Kate. You have to tread lightly on this one. <laughs> we have to walk on air. Kate Nason, Chairperson of the Australian Passive House Association, thank you very much. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. This has been Brank Amalitic, and thank you very much for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you from the Architecture and Design Network. Thank you once again to our today's wonderful guest, Kate Nason from the Australian Passive House Association, and of course, Caroma, proud sponsors of our 2022 Residential Design Series. Be sure to check them out at caroma.com.au. And you can also head over to architectureanddesign.com.au for all the latest news, views, projects, people, and much, much more. See you next time.